Live from the Pathway Studios in Johnston proper, you are live from the path. And you're listening to Live from the Path, recording from the uh, Pathway Studios here in Johnston proper. And it is, uh, it's balmy in here. I don't know what it's like at your house or how your armpits are feeling, uh, but there's, there's a risk here in the room. And uh, if that helps paint a picture of what goes on in here, then that's what we're here to do for you. And uh, you're very welcome. Anyway, here's what we got going on the show uh, tonight. So uh, I got a couple stories. So we're going to try an artifact. So I realize that uh, many shows I go, hey, we got a couple stories, and then or I'll say, hey, I, I couldn't find anything. And so I'm gonna we're gonna peel back the curtain. Okay, the Wizard of Oz is in underpants and suspenders, and he's he's gonna show himself today. And I'm gonna give you I'll give you some of the titles of these articles, and then I'm gonna tell you why I don't want to talk about them, or at least on the show. Okay, and so it's just just you get to see a little bit. All right, you get to peer into the bottom of the mop bucket. And uh, see whose engagement ring is still down there. So we're going to do that. Uh, also, we got some deer uh, live from the path. Uh, Nathaniel, do you have any previews on this deer live from the path? Yeah, we got one about a uh, a drunk ex uh, ex that uh, the a mother in law still talks to. To the drunk ex. Yeah. Oh man, Nick Cox, is that a problem you're you're running into often? No, not very. Often. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Hey. And anger boiling over. Yeah, you don't know you don't know much about uh, my friend Nick Cox, who's in in the studio with us tonight. But you know for a fact that he's not having problems with his mom calling his drunk ex all the time. No. Okay. Good. Good. All right. Here's here's what we're gonna do. Let's let's hop right into these stories. Uh, so I'm gonna give you the two two ones that I said yes to. First one is Pastor Michael Todd draws ire for wiping spit on congregants' face during sermon. Do you guys hear this? No. Okay. All right. Check. <laughs> Okay, popular pastor Michael Todd of Transformation Church in Bixby, Oklahoma, drew the wrath of the Internet and became a trending topic on Twitter as a clip from his message on Vision Sunday showed him wiping globs of spit on a congregant's face, even as the coronavirus pandemic rages. This is the reason we don't want to spit on people, because of the corona? Listen here. We're, you're bl- we're too blind. We're becoming blind. All right? How about we say, hey, we shouldn't spit on people just as good practice <laughs> as... Man to man, good vibes, fresh feelings. Yeah. Don't hawk a don't hawk a loogie on a man. I don't. I don't need to see the corona show up in every freaking article I read. <sighs> okay, here we go. Before the demonstration, Todd detailed that he was preparing his message for the sermon this week. God used the words of late singer Johnny Nash's song "I Can See Clearly Now" to inspire him. I began to listen to those words, and God said, "Michael, the past two years have been like raining over people's lives." And he said they need to prophetically declare that I can see clearly now that the rain is gone. Todd told congregants, some of you all have had friends that you didn't see who they really were. You were befriending obstacles. This doesn't make any sense, that sentence. You were not able to see clearly because of the damage, the frustration, the hurt, the pain, the trauma. But now God's saying you can see clearly all the obstacles. He referenced the Bible verse Mark 8.23, which highlights the story of Jesus healing a blind man at Bethsaida by spitting to his eyes privately. Hmm. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, Do you see anything, the scripture states? 
Todd highlighted how Jesus chose wisely not to embarrass the blind man by spitting in his eye publicly. He leads him. Watch how good God is, Todd said. Okay, he's using this this way wrong. He doesn't embarrass this man because he doesn't spit on him in front of everybody. He takes him out. You thought when God separated you it was a punishment, but it was really protection. The reason he took him out of the village was because the work that he was about to do, others would misinterpret it. So he had to get him outside of what was comfortable. He wasn't going to not spit on him, he continued. He just didn't do it in front of everybody because he didn't want their reputation or his reputation to be tarnished by what he had to go through to receive the miracle. How are we feeling so far? This seem legitimate? It seems a bit strange. Yeah. Okay, Nick says it's just out of line. Nathaniel? It seems a little weird. I thought at first that he was uh, going to go with this, the spit in the mud, not just spit in the, spit in the eyes. Yeah, so hold on. So, and so is he like hawking a loogie on him, or is he doing like a like a raspberry like shower? Okay. Well, I think it's going to show it. Hold on, now hold on. I'm going to go through the 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 Bethsaida story. Is only it's got three verses. They came to Bethsaida. This is Mark eight uh, twenty two. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, "Do you see anything?" He looked up and said, "I see people. They look like trees walking around." Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. Okay, so that was, that's a real odd story to pick out, to be honest with you. It's like a very shifty miracle that happened. Like, it's partial. It didn't even work the first time. And that guy didn't mention that in his representation of the story. He's like, God took you out to village and spit in your face <laughs> because that's how it had to be done to receive the miracle. But, I mean, it didn't. It, it feels like it didn't quite work. All right, so here's the description. Todd asks an unidentified male. It's it's his brother. It ends up being his brother. Standing onto the stage next to him with his eyes closed, the pastor acts contrary to the wisdom he said Jesus demonstrated and turned the unidentified congregant into a spectacle. The congregant has reportedly been identified as Todd's younger brother. He asked the man if he was good. Todd then hawked a loogie from his throat (laughs) and spat it in his hand as an audible cringe erupted from the congregation. Then he hawked a second loogie and told the congregation to watch. He can't see, but he can hear, he said. And this is the moment where many of us are in because God is doing something and we hear him changing. We hear him even in your prayer. And in this time, he's changing something. You don't see it clearly yet, but you hear, added Todd. And this is where most people would not face Jesus anymore. What most people would do is turn away, he said, hawking a third loogie, which he spat in his hand. What I'm telling you, just as he's physically standing here knowing what's coming, God's saying, can you physically, spiritually, and emotionally be able to stand when getting the vision and receiving it might get nasty, Todd said. The pastor rubbed his phlegm together. Why, man, this is super descriptive. <laughs> and lathered it across the churchgoer's eyes as the spittle dangled from his face, uh. forcing the parishioner to wipe some of the spittle from his mouth. Many onlookers who watched the demonstration from outside the church expressed disgust over Todd's actions, which triggered a mountain of online memes. Okay. As it should. So. As it should. Okay, listen. So the most gracious rendering of this particular action was he was making a point that uh, God may bring you through something that is uncomfortable and you're not willing to stand for it. Now, he's, he's intertwined it with this taking people out of the village thing, and it would have been embarrassing to do it. Like, I don't, who, makes a sermon, who makes a sermon demonstration to say, here's what Jesus, if his point was Jesus didn't do this because it would be awkward and embarrassing, so he took the guy out the village, and he said, here's what it looks like to do the opposite of what Jesus did. <laughs> Like, that's a real wide open door of things you shouldn't be doing on a stage to say, well, <laughs> Jesus' recommendation was this. Here's what it looks like to do the opposite. <laughs> like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm with this. This doesn't seem super fruitful. 
Have you ever had a, a sermon illustration really flop like that? Uh, I, like you're like this is gonna this is gonna kill, and then uh, your next thing you know you're spitting in people's eyes. Uh, okay, never ne- never anything that far. I've had all kinds of sermon illustrations that just did not go over. I'm bad at them, like I'm really bad. Uh, that's why I stick to mostly just saying what the like teaching the the, yeah. the Bible itself because like I when I am left to my own devices to come up with a story or an example, I'm just not very good at it. And so yeah, I've had a number of them flop. Yeah, I think this is that dude's uh, ailment right here is he's not good at sermon he's, illustration. He's not good. It tied together in his mind. He's like, this is gonna rock. Yeah, 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 boy. Okay, okay. But the man needs is a a secretary. Or something. Something. Someone someone take a look at it and go, you know, I see where it says Hawk Loogie in the script, and uh, you should you should let that go. He's somebody better than his brother to proofread it, because he just stood there and took the loogies. That's right. His brother would, I mean, I can't imagine. I say, hey, Mike, here's That's what we're going to do. nobody else would have done that. That's right. Well, and, and isn't that, yeah, okay, so lesson one from the story. Be a brother, and be a true brother <laughs> to a man, and go, he goes, hey, for the, for the glory of the Lord, I'm going to spit in my hand and wipe it on your face. And you would go, the Lord is not glorified in this example, sir. First of all, you're pulling this story out of context. I think you really focused on this take him out of the village piece, which is interesting. But, like, you've, you've overstretched it with the script, what it can with, uh, withstand here. Uh, secondly, uh, this is proving the anti-Jesus option is bad. It's bad. There's no reason to do that. Uh, yeah, you should, you should, yeah. Be a brother to a man and say no. We're not. I, he can't find a guy. Uh, let's see here. Uh, that Mike Todd video has so many layers of terribleness wrapped up in it. I don't even know where to start. The audacity, the cult energy, the spiritual and theological abusiveness, the hawking and rubbing and spitting and deflecting. I couldn't believe my eyes. Ain't no way. Uh, this was by Christian writer and theology student Dante Stewart. I legit want to have the energy to talk about this, but y'all, I, I legit can't. This is more than terrible theology or performance or arrogant views of oneself and power. I don't know a word for this, but it ain't nice or holy or pastoral or good. Hmm. But let's see here. Todd's popularity has grown rapidly over the last few years. Transformation Church's YouTube page has more than 1.6 million followers. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Live from the Path has over a million views on YouTube. This is not a good benchmark. The congregation also gives million to the community. In 2020, Pastor Todd led his congregation in three and a half million one-day blessing spree in which they helped scores of humans, uh, human service organizations, churches, and individuals, including one needy family that received a new car and $250,000 to purchase a home. Okay, that's pretty awesome. Last summer, Todd called on churches. Okay, I don't care. During his sermon on Sunday, he told the congregation that he thrives on vision. I'm so excited about this because vision is my thing. If God said you only get to do one thing for the rest of your life, my one thing would be getting vision from him and then making other people believe it. I'm anointed to do that. I feel more in my spot on Vision Sundays than ever uh, because I've stood at this exact spot when nobody was in this church and prophesied where we are today into existence because God gave me a vision. Hey, you're, not, that's, you're not using that, right? He gave me a vision that I was bold enough to declare to other people in the face of it not looking like it could ever happen. Hmm. What vision did he go? Uh, I don't, that wasn't clear, really, on this particular vi- Oh, wait, here we go. Todd said his vision is what drives him to invest in real estate and vowed to take that vision beyond Tolsta. Oh, okay. Huh. Okay, that is make. Y'all don't know that I'm planning for our church to subdue, rule, and dominate. This is bad. This is bad theology. This is not... Okay, uh, it's the... Remember what we talked about? Um, this was a, a few shows back, and it had to do with how you can pick out heresy. Like, without knowing, having to be in the finer points of any given thing... Is there a way to where your radar should go off and go, hey man, this this might be heretical? And the the 
the focus was, um, does what this person's talking about elevate humans or does it elevate God? Does it elevate Jesus? If it's elevating Jesus, it's, it's on the less likely to be heretical scale. Uh, if it is elevating humans, then your sniff test should be out. Okay, and so when he says, uh, yesterday I drove one of my pastor friends that came in town this weekend to just spend the weekend with me. I drove him to all the locations in Tulsa that we have and, he sh- and showed him all the buildings. You all don't know that I'm planning for our church to subdue, rule, and dominate. Is that elevating humans or is that elevating God? Sounds like humans to me. That sounds like humans to me. This, Y'all don't know. <laughs> this sniffs of heresy. These are things to be cautious of. Elevation of humans, bad. Elevation of Yahweh, correct. Whose church is it? Is he? Uh, I mean, he is. Well, well God's church, that's yes. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's it right. says our church, yes. my church, but yes. it's, it's God's church. And by what measure? Hi, God owns property. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. He created the dirt. He doesn't care about your building or how many you own in a given city. How many, like... Uh, Jesus defines treasures in a very specific way. People who come to know him and live in the kingdom. And so, um, yeah, this is where I would be super cautious. I don't care how charismatic the guy is. I'd be super cautious here. The spit thing was ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I'm actually way more worried about this than I am that he hawked a loogie in his brother's face. That's uh, just a evidence of a group <laughs> of an underlying heart problem. Uh, okay, okay. Holy cow, this is, this is forever. Uh, I don't know. We're going to finish this thing here. He said the reason why uh, vision is something people don't talk about is that Western culture has conditioned people into building somebody else's vision. I mean, that's what you're asking for, you walking dunce. He's saying you, <laughs> you're saying you have a vision and that your congregation should follow it. And so you can't blame the rest of the culture for saying, hey, we want to build somebody else's vision. He says we've been never taught, that's a weird way to put it, to believe in what God placed in us. And today I want to empower you to be able to stand in the vision that God has given you and to declare in the midst of darkness where you see the light of God coming into that situation. At Transformation Church, vision is most valued. Vision is more important than people. Yeah, that's what the Bible said that, sure. Because if you don't have a vision for the people, you're going to damage the people. Like, may I suggest to you that many people are hurt by church, not because of bad leaders, but because of lack of vision. No, people are hurt by church because you're not, people aren't honoring and following Jesus. Like, otherwise, you wouldn't have a problem. As a matter of fact, uh, if you're honoring and following Jesus, I don't believe that you can be hurt by the church. The church most often is hurting people when they're not actually honoring and following Jesus. That's when it happens, when their humanness comes out. And uh, frankly, vision, meaning something that you feel that was given to you specifically that differs from general revelation that God has given to the world and the general example that Jesus has provided, smells a lot like human risk, uh, not gospel and kingdom furtherance. If he finishes, your marriage may not be bad because you're with the wrong person. It may be challenged because of a lack of vision. The job that you're on right now ain't the wrong job. Actually, you're ordained to be there, he continued. You're actually supposed to solve a problem there. But the reason you have two weeks' notice on deck at all times is because of a lack of vision. Nick Cox, you feel, that, you feel, that's, uh, you feel like you were ordained? You, were, you, you did uh, work at the pudding factory. I did work at the pudding you factory. Feel that, does that feel ordained to you? No. Oh. It's because you didn't have a vision. You didn't have vision. Y'all, well, I could see out of my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no one's spitting him. Boy, boy, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here that I can't. I can't process very well. Oh man, his brother. His brother got spit all over his face. That's rough times. <laughs> Y'all don't even know. That, you know that's, that's rough times. Okay, uh, here we go. Uh, most pastors say leader development. People's apathy are issues they need to address. Um, Developing leadership, connecting with the unchurched, and tackling apathy are among the top issues that pastors believe need to be addressed, according to newly released data from LifeWay Research. 
The Research and Polling Division of the Southern Baptist Convention released a new report based on a survey of 1,000 Protestant pastors. Developing leaders and volunteers was the most listed concern, with 77% of respondents choosing it as an important need to address. Fostering connections with unchurched people was the second most, 76%. Now, uh, I'm sorry, followed by people's apathy or lack of commitment at 75% and consistency in personal prayer at 72%. Does that sound right? Does that sound right? So, so, so the balance was in this order. Developing leaders and volunteers, then fostering connections with unchurched people, then addressing people's apathy or lack of commitment, and then consistency in personal prayer. This is like level of importance? Yeah, now they're pretty close. Uh, like it, they're, they're asking, is it important? 77% of people in developing leaders and volunteers said that was important. 76% said fostering connections with unchurched people. Are the other 24% just think they're nailing it? Hmm. I mean, it seems to me like the prayer should be at the top. Yeah. Because if you're not praying over all the other things, then you're just going to be doing them with your own effort. Yeah. And, and you're not relying on God in any of it, really. And at 100. Like, does anybody ever feel like their personal prayer life is just, like, cannot be beat? Rocking it. I've never met anybody that's, that's, had, that's had that feeling, that they felt like, hey, you know what, I'm all tapped out. And maybe, I mean, maybe there's some people that are doing it. I wouldn't be surprised, I guess. But, like, I'd expect this number to be 99%. 99% of pastors say, personal prayer, I need all, it's most important. Because, because to Nick's point, everything follows from there. Hmm. Now, that's, I, now, is that true, would we say that that translates to, to non-pastors? Is that true for every Christian? It seem like it, yeah. Yeah, right. It would, right? There's nothing special about the pastor that that would be the case. And so, uh, so how, so how are we doing? Like uh, barometer. What do you think, Nathaniel? Barometer on on personal prayer. You feeling strong? Uh, depends on the day. <laughs> Good. So I guess no. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not. And like, well, what's what, what do you what do you struggle with? Like making the time, uh, feeling like you know what to pray about, feeling like you're praying something that's worth praying. Like, what's what, what are the what are the barriers? Um, I feel like a lot of times I I feel like I I pray over the same exact things. Yep. Um, until the next uh, week rolls around, and then I ask uh, people that I know, hey, what you want me praying for? Mm-hmm. And then it's new things. Um, but I feel like weekly I'm praying on the same things all the time. And it like it it does it uh, is it that it just doesn't feel inspired? Yeah. I'd say, yeah. Feels like you're passing notes under the under the door. Yeah, it's like, hey, this guy told me uh, to pray about this, so I guess I will. Yeah, so I'm gonna do it. Hmm. Now, but also, there's some things where, like, uh, like on 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 some things where someone's like, hey, can you pray for this guy that uh, I got in contact with, and he's trying to get in contact with his kids. He's, uh, you know, this and that, and he's going through a lot and trying to show him Christ's love, and he ha- he's got warrants out for his arrest and all this. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I definitely pray for that. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, my grandma's got a hurt foot. Will you pray for that this week? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, one of them, I definitely feel like I, uh, I I feel more inclined to pray for on a daily basis than the other. Right, right. Okay. Is that wrong? Should I be praying for grandma's foot every yeah, day? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you have to pray for it every day. Like it's like uh, like prayer is an exercise of 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 a relationship. I don't mention everything that ever occurred to me in a given day to my wife every day, right? That would be weird. 
<laughs> like I just say the same things to her every day. Hey, how's it going, babe? Oh, I'm thinking about my grandma's foot, and I'm thinking about that guy who's got the warrant out for his arrest, and I'm thinking about the kids and their future husbands. Like, I just, I, 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 this came up in a conversation we were doing um, at church. We were talking about this week about like daily prayer, um, and and maybe don't beat yourself up on it. <laughs> um, you should. I think it's good, but like. Um, I think our notion of praying daily, we may have. Again, I, I think I think habits are good. I think being too, I would say, maybe pharisaical around what you're talking about. Like, if I don't pray with this every day, what's going to happen? Like, God didn't forget; He knew anyway. It's a, this is a relationship question. Uh, does it mean you don't love your grandma if her foot didn't show up? No. Like, pray pray for the things that are burning your heart, the things that are running on your mind. Um, and then pray, Lord, that like, and first pray, God, put the right things on my heart and mind to talk with you about. Because like that, I think that's the right expression. And so, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't feel bad about not that grandma's foot didn't make the the daily list. Because man, again, you're not telling God anything He didn't know, and you're not failing Grandma because it's not magic. And so, um, I think maybe we just got to let us let let that go, let go of the burden of that thing that feels heavier. I mean, I if you said you're going to pray for it, I pray on it. Uh, I think as you think about the people around you and how to pray for them, and you think about you should pray for grandma every so often, and her toe should be part of that because you mentioned it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'd relieve yourself of any burden that feels like, hey, did I mention grandma's toe every day? Yeah. So, uh, Nick, Nick Cox, what about you? Oh, it's um, <clears throat> not not going too great. Um, like same things, consistency, depth. Any any of it consistency, uh, depth. Most of the time, I don't even really, right now, have words to say when I'm trying to pray. Yeah. So mostly, I just uh, been trying to lately just be quiet and. Yep. Relaxed and hoping to be able to hear something as far as like maybe have a scripture or something like that pop into my head that I can think on and meditate on. And, yeah. But um, finding the words right now is really hard. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's right. And so, like, uh, so, there's, so there's a theme in there. There's a theme in consistency, and, like, I'll, I'll t- mine are the same. Um, I, I, I do feel like I talk about the same things all the time. Um, and as a matter of fact, I, I've had a hard time praying at night because when I pray at night, I tend to, to just, like, slowly roll my tongue into... Uh, a common set of things that I might say every night. And then I'm not really paying attention. Just like, again, I wouldn't want to talk at my wife or say things without thinking about what I'm saying. Um, like, uh, I, I think I'm not getting to the spirit of prayer. Now, it's, it's okay to pray the same thing over and over again. I mean, Jesus did that. The Shema was that. Um, the example of the Lord's Prayer is that. I think it's okay to use it um, as, a, as a habitual prayer. I think that's totally fine. And so it's like, it's not that God is like, oh, why don't they come up with something new? He gave you the playbook. And, uh, um, so it's okay. Um, but the question, are you engaged in it? Um, are you thinking about it? Are, am I, if, I pray, if I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, am I, am I doing it with intent? And am I doing it actively? Or am I doing it passively just to let the words um, flow over my tongue? And so, I mean, y- you know, I think I have to be careful with that. And so I have a consistency thing. I kind of long for... Um, Kind of these prayer room type experiences where you know you got an hour in there and like you're just and you it, you finally break through a bunch of other stuff and you're able to feel like what it gets to kind of get in these 
guttural type of prayers. Um, and I don't reach that in my daily prayer life. And like, I think how I feel about it is worse than what it actually is. I think Nathaniel to kind of some of what you were saying, um, is that I, did it, did it, did it do anything? Did I honor God with what I, what I offered in my prayer, or did I just kind of felt like I checked a box on it? Um, and then, I, and then I think a little bit to what you were getting at, Nick, is like um, I don't. I'm terrible listening, just stopping and kind of listening, or, or, or carving off time for anything, um, and just saying, "Look, I, it's okay to be still here and to give something a little." Like think of how I just think, I was thought about this the other day. Is that if I had to catalog how I spent every minute of my day and put it into buckets? How much of that do I do I spend in prayer compared to making toast? Compared to you know, I don't know, picking up my picking up my phone, scrolling through something dumb. Um, and and the truth is, is that like I have more time than what I make it, than the what I allow myself to believe to pray well. And like again, I, I'm not God's not going, hey, g- give me 45 minutes or I'm disappointed in you. That's not what we're talking about. It's just like I know that in the balance of my life that. That prayer is is not taking a, a, a position of priority. Uh, I'm not treating it with for the value that it brings, um, for the honor that it demonstrates, um, for the, the reality that it reveals. Um, it's like having a it's like having a chocolate cake, like sitting on your on your counter ready to eat and like refusing to open the lid. And so, and like scripture readings like that too. And so, like as we think about, it's it's hard at the start of years because we kind of want to. Um, and Paul, I think, contributes to this, right? You kind of want to beat your body into submission and go, "Look, I'm just I'm going to pick up the scriptures. <laughs> I'm going to read them." Um, and I think some of that is okay, but it, but it, as an inertia, but like it it can't carry you. Just like you can't say, "I'm," um, you can't purely run like a fifty year marriage just out of straight up willpower. Um, you have to cultivate and develop relationship in there, and I think that's true in your relationship with God too. And so, yeah, I think I think uh, back to the to the news article. It's a slam dunk, ninety nine percent, if not a hundred. Like I just don't know any guy who feels like they've just got this nailed. And pastors, especially, like you got com- feels like competing priorities. Those people and emails and the same thing that everybody else deals with work. Um, and to give it that time, even personal time. To read and study and pray, um, I just can't imagine this isn't a hundred percent. It boggles my mind that it's not. Uh, it said other listed needs include friendships and fellowship with others, trusting God, sixty-six percent, personal discipleship making, sixty-three percent, and time management, fifty-one percent. Here's the, and this is going to sound. Um, I, I only have one bucket, okay? So, like, I recognize where this. You take this in as a grain of salt as a guy who pastors a house church, but like. Um, from my perspective, no one is ever absolved from personal disciple-making, ever. And so if you've got developing leaders and volunteers as higher on your worry list than personal disciple-making, again, I think you've got to flip. If you make disciples, leaders will come. Leaders will, they will either be the people you've decided, because as a leader, you tend to attract people like you or that have your type of skills or people who want um, to be more like you or how you go about things. And so those are the people that you will mentor and disciple. And then once you've got it, you've got leaders. Um, and so you're not a factory. You, and then as you make disciples and then they make disciples, the leaders will come. And so I wouldn't think of those differently. I would make disciples. Forget about the leadership development. Um, and then as you make disciples, the, their, their earthly skills will become very relevant uh, or present. 
and uh, God will tell them that it's their job to serve. So I, I would I would alleviate your burden of staffing the place up or finding the right guy to run XYZ ministry. I'd, I'd make disciples and then have God send people. He will. He'll tap them. Who, who, I'm, I might have missed this. Who was this uh, surveying? Th- thousand Protestant pastors. Okay. And only half of them said disi- personal <laughs> discipleship? As one of their greatest needs. They were asked to list their greatest needs. Yeah. I, I should have looked at the survey to see how it was bound. But, like, again, I just, you know, time management, I get that. And people's apathy or lack of commitment, I get that. But, like, um, that's that feels like disciple-making to me. Because, like, uh, again, I, you just don't want to um, – we want gospel transformation, not behavior modification. And so, like, the types of things I'm, – I'm always wary of things that, like – snap people out of apathy that isn't just like, it's just disciple-making. Like, the the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the conscience. I just can't be somebody else's conscience. And so I feel like I can say true things, and I can help try to point people to Jesus and make disciples, but, like, I've tried to be the heavy in different in different relationships, and, like, I'm not, I'm either not good at it or it's not effective. There's no, I'm, what do you, I'm not scary. I think, I think I told this story before. Uh, and maybe you guys have any examples of like, hey, you try, you're trying to help, uh, and so like, maybe even accountability stuff, and you're like, and you came in a situation where like it just didn't matter. You tried to hold someone, they didn't really do it. What are you going to do? Because like I was in a, I was in a relationship. Um, well, it sounds funny when I say it that way. I was in a relationship with a man. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was in a, a, like an accountability group with a guy, and he was bigger than me, like by quite a bit. He probably had forty pounds on me and could, you know, break my nose with a pinky. And uh, I think his last accountability guy was, you know, 600 pounds, 800 pounds, something like that. And so, like, he could intimidate the guy. And and so there were times where I think he did, you know, hey, knock it off or I will handle you. And so I was in this. I was trying to, to help this guy out. And, like, I, 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 I mean, I can't offer that. He could take me. I can only say true things. But, like, but that's the thing is, like, it's, a mis- it's an imbalance in a relationship. What do I... I don't want a guy afraid of me. To what value is that? To be like, oh, Ben's going to be mad? So, so freaking what? <laughs> you know, like, I can only point you to Jesus. And, like, it's not even that Jesus will be bad. It's that, like, he's calling you to something better. And so um, I've been in other situations where, like, I've said, hey, okay, this is, this is, uh, this is what we're going to do. And someone said, yes, I'll do that. And they're like, hey, did you do that? No, I didn't. Okay. You should do that. Like, it's kind of like trying to, trying to parent your 20-year-old kid. What are you going to do? Like, you're going to spank them? <laughs> like, just, just, at some point, actually, I'm pretty open with my kids about that. I was talking to my, my oldest kid. I can't remember what it was about, but I said, look, I, you know, oh, I know what it was about. We were just talking about honesty. And I'm like, I, 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 look, I, I, I need to, to tell you that, like, this is super important that you got to tell the truth. Like, you'll break relationships that you cannot restore by being dishonest. And, like, there's nothing I can do. I know you're lying to me. This wasn't a her specifically. This was kind of in a, a group this is a children, full children-child discussion, but it was like, um, look, we generally know when you're lying, and I can't really do, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to threaten you to, like, to spank you or punish you or what? Like, you know, I need you to be honest because you should be, um, because there's no amount of, you know, frankly, if I threaten to punish you, all it's going to do is incentivize you to lie more to try to get out of a punishment. Uh, and so, like, I'm not sure, I, I'm just running out. The older your kids get, the, the, the less your, your physical restraints on them matter. Whether you're a spanker or not a spanker, timeout is still a physical restraint. 
It's a you go over here and you stand here until I tell you. It's asserting your authority. At some point, they're going to go, you know what? No, I'm not going to stand in that corner. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Amp up the level until you can really just freak them out? Well, I'll kick you out of the house. They're 12. What are you going to do? Like, that's the time where they start sassing you back and going, no, I'm not going to do that. And you, get, you can't reasonably kick them out. And so wait, what are you going to do? You're going to lose the battle of, of, of might with a small kid. This, the kids figured this out. Like, I don't know if you've ever been attacked or harassed by, like, a 13-year-old, but, like, they have got your number. I told this story in the show one time. I was going down the street, and there's, like, this dude. He's got to be 10 or 11 or 12 or something, riding down the street in his bike, and he just... He going four miles an hour in front of me and refused to get out of the road. And he's just turning around like cussing at me and going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You going to hit me? He know, what am I going to do, run him over to car? <laughs> I can't go around him, and he knows it. I can't physically accost him. I can't threaten him. I, he has gotten me by uh, the man parts going four miles an hour down my street because I cannot do anything about it, and he knows it. It's the worst thing that happened to kids. They get smart. And so, anyway, I, like the whole point is, is that, like, you know, if you're going to rile someone up out of their apathy, you know, I think you just make disciples. <laughs> I think you make disciples and you point people to Jesus and you pray for them. Uh, and, like, it's not that, that accountability is not a good thing. Uh, it's okay to check up on a guy. You just can't be the heavy. You can't be the fulcrum of which stuff gets done or not done. Like, people have got to live their own lives. You can make decisions for them for a number of, uh, for a bit of a time, and then once you tap out, they're just going to go back to making their own bad decisions again. And so you can't live their life for them. And sometimes that sucks. It sucks to watch people do that. And so, I don't know, Nathaniel, you've you, you been in a situation like that? Um, you, you, were, you were supposed to be the heavy, and it was not effective. Yeah, it... Uh... Yeah, I'm. I'm not very good at being he- the the heavy <laughs> with other people. Yeah, I don't come. I, I don't come down hard, and uh, um, I can try. I I've tried annoying somebody into uh, uh, accountability before, um, and that didn't work either. Yeah, because uh, I got sick of it. <laughs> I was like, okay, I can keep this up. Yeah. Um, and you can't. I mean, you can't. You can't slam down on somebody uh, who doesn't fear God. Yeah, that's right. You can't, because if they don't feel God, then what? What are you gonna do? You can come around, but flex your muscles like you, you, uh, you're, you're some sort of hot shot, hot shot. Yeah, that's bogus. I mean, and like again, don't don't hear me saying it's it's a totally okay to remind a brother. Say, hey man, let me remind you the stuff that you believe. You fear God. Uh, you love your wife. You want to act with honor and integrity. What I'm seeing is not that. Don't act, don't be a fool. You're looking like a fool right now. I don't have any problem with that at all. I'm for that. It's just that like, hey man, you go do, you need to read your Bible four times this week or you're going to have to reckon with me. Shut up. Shut up. Who are you reckon with me? What are you going to do? You're going to trip him in the parking yeah. lot? Put dog crap in his ashtray? I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> I think that is a good question though to ask somebody. Like uh, if you're, if you're in a, uh, accountability relationship with them, uh, and that's happened to me before, where I was uh, I was arguing with somebody about a uh, I can't remember what it was probably some dumb thing a finer point of the scriptures or whatever yeah and uh, <laughs> and he was yelling at me he said do you even fear God or something <laughs> like that or uh, and uh, like I it uh, kind of hurt my feelings at the time uh, but then later on when I th- sat and thought about it I was like you know maybe I'm not taking enough time to like actually consider what God is saying and implementing in my life. Yeah. 
And uh, it kind of gave me pause for the moment. Mm. And I think it is important for people who uh, profess Christ to like take that into account. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's good as an accountability person to say, are you know, are you doing what you want to do? That's right. Yeah, you're right. That's that's what it is. I think I think because ultimately you're bringing word. That's that's what you're bringing. Like you're asking the questions that the that the Bible is asking you. That the that the scripture is is trying to point out to you that the spirit is stirring in your life. And so. As a, can you be can you be the guy who says that out loud as a reminder? Yes, totally. What I'm saying is, is like you shouldn't don't add to it. Your your weight or your heft is not is not the thing that that changes. Like we want to ultimately, we're trying to point ourselves to submit to and delight in Jesus, not submit to and delight in Ben's view of the world. And so, as much as I might think, hey man, this is the course you should take your life. You know, I I can get I can tell you. Well, here's here's a thought. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I think that's when it becomes beyond. You can, you cannot live someone's life for them, and I think at some point you stop being an accountability guy and you became a bully. Um, and even if you're successful, they didn't meet Jesus; they just met you. And I'll be honest, I don't find you near as impressive. Sorry, Cox. I'm just saying, like, uh, I'd rather be, I'd rather people beat Jesus than me, yeah. and hear Jesus's view of the world over mine. And so, you know, I think it's difficult. I think it's difficult because. Um, People sometimes want an earthly threat. That some people are motivated motivated by it. Hey, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to tell your wife that you're buying eighty five dollars in lottery tickets. <laughs> you straighten it out. Uh, okay, let's see here. Uh, during the survey, pastors were asked to select just one important need to address. Oh wait, they only got to pick one. How is it? How is it that they, I don't know, this doesn't make any sense? Seventy six percent can say one thing. Seventy five percent. Well, I guess maybe. Okay. Uh, people's apathy or lack of commitment ranked the highest at 10% if it was just a one, followed by personal disciple-making at nine. Okay, that's more like it. Fostering connections with unchurched people at 8% and developing leaders and volunteers at seven. Uh, why is uh, the relationship with unchurched people not way higher on there? Is the thing that I'm wondering. Uh, I mean, I guess I consider that disciple-making, like of a, a, a part of the span of disciple-making, wouldn't you? I mean, I think it mixes in there, yeah, with that, probably. Yeah, now, I mean, who knows how people interpreted it, but, like, if you were to say, hey, man, like, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, I assume he includes unchurched people. <laughs> like, he's not just going, go find the Jews. So like, maybe they're asking the wrong questions. Yeah, maybe it's worded in a way like. that's confusing. Yeah, because I certainly wouldn't pick, I wouldn't pick that. Although, that, that that's talking about fostering connections with unchurched people. Um, and, like, I'm hit and miss on the value of, like, hey, well, I'm well-known in the community. Like, I... I, there's some guys who do it really well, and I think it's pro- like provided benefits. Um, but but they allow you to make disciples. But here's the thing: you should be doing that anyway. Like you should be. Well, you should have good relationships everywhere. Like, wh- wh- what do I care? Why why do I need to make a distinction of unchurched people? Foster connections. Go one step deeper with the people you're capable of doing with. Um, yeah, it be seems a good like human. the the apathy problem, the unchurched people. The disciples or discipleship, yeah. The leadership thing. It seems like that all should like be one category that falls together. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Or I think it solves all the same way. Right. Care about the people around you in relationships. Lead with Jesus. Uh, treat it. Treat it like think of people the way that He thinks of them, and be prepared to give your time to it. I feel like that covers almost all the things, right? Right. No need to break them up into separate things. Yeah. 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 Like, and, and maybe, and and. and 
the question is, is there value separating them into different things? Oh, well, you know, hey, I, I only focused on church people for, for this year. Well, I mean, how is that p- possible? You didn't it's, run uh, into any unchurched guys this year? No way, right? Uh, the pre-existing challenges... Okay, I don't care about this. Uh, the project has shed light on critical needs they have and will point the way forward and how we partner with them to fuel their ministries. Uh, when it comes to getting help for their needs, the poll shows that 75% of pastors express interest in getting advice and guidance from other pastors who face similar problems. You know, I was giving um, advice to someone this week, and it wasn't had not have to do, it wasn't pastoral, um, but it was, it was uh, oh, financial, really, and it was about kind of goals for this year, and like, boy, you just never know what you don't know. And like, one of the, hard, one of the worst things you can do, or most limiting things you can do, is sit and you think personally about something about what your goals and vision is for, I'm going to steal the guy's word, what your goals are for the coming year. Because they tend to be limited by what you know. And like, I'm just such a small man. I'm a small man who knows a very limited subset of things, who's, who spends my time thinking about a very small subset of things. And so like, I mean, for heaven's sakes, man, ask around. Listen to a podcast. Read some books. Ask some folks. But like, before you say, here's where I, here's where I want to be, or here's the way I'm going to do it, like... Um, I just just take some other counsel in, and uh, and I think you'll find out that like there's pe- there's there's smart people who love Jesus and who probably can even come to terms with caring about you, who who can have you thinking about things in a way that just never never occurred to you, um, and and, and th- that will make your life e- that get you to the same places or places you didn't even know were possible, um, because you're just like so as a matter of fact like I was been part of my job at work is to, I look at I look at um like roles and responsibilities across our organization to think like, are these, do these match? Are we paying people what we should, not exactly what we pay them, but like generally speaking, do we have people in the right buckets of type of work? Do we have people who are doing the same types of work that are called different things, different levels? Like it was like, is it, is it matched up? And the reality is, is like there's some people that are doing work in our company that like, I had no idea one, that that job existed and two, that it paid. Like I just, I'm flabbergasted. People are making this type of money doing this type of work. I had no idea. And it's in a line of work that I've been doing for almost 20 years now. And so, like, you just never know what you don't know. And so uh, definitely ask around. So when it says pastors are open, like, heck, yeah, man. I'd be open in any even things that you think you're an expert on. Hey, I just know this down pat. I'm like, well, I bet. I bet there's something you can learn from somebody. Ask around. Read a bit. Listen to some stuff. Uh, definitely be open to that kind of thing. Only f- 57% of pastors said they would want guidance from experts on addressing those issues. Be humble, fellas. Be hu- Here's the thing. Running a church has a uniqueness in its theology. Past that, you're running some sort of community or business, and um, there's not a lot of uniquenesses to that. There's people all over the world that are doing that kind of thing. Now, I don't want you to use that business model. I'm obviously against that. Um, but I will tell you, that like uh, the things that you think are new under the sun are not new under the sun, and so uh, whatever, t- take an expert. Just I think they're. I, th- I wonder if part of them is saying I don't want to talk to an expert because they think the experts can try to sell them something. What do you think? Hey, I'm an expert in this. It feels like the hey, you want to buy my book is probably coming next, or buy my software or something. Their pamphlet. Yeah, yeah, that's probably what their it feels program. Like. Hmm. Twelve hmm. steps. Okay, to a I think church. Da, 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 da. I think we can, all right. We're kind of done with this one. Okay. All right, so uh, real quick, I'm going to go through a a few of these headlines here, and uh, I'm going to give you hot takes on why I don't care about this. And Nathaniel and uh, Nick Cox, you tell me, hey, we should talk about that. That's super interesting, okay? 
if you find something. All right. Uh, top one, Ralph Warnock to Senate colleagues. You can't remember MLK and dismember his legacy. Uh, here's the thing. It's a, they're talking to a senator. This is full of, uh, I, I, I don't really care to lead political stories and analyze them. Um, there's always some level of blowhardiness in there, and so um, I skip them. Yeah, can it? Yeah. Uh, Christian MP says prosecution um, for beliefs on homosexuality is a privilege. Uh, I'm over this. I'm over this particular topic too. Uh, first of all, it's not prosecution. You're not actually being prosecuted. You're you're trying to hint that it's persecution. Um, and uh, none of this is a particular surprise. That something that Jesus uh, taught you. Um, and something that you believe is coming up a rub against a world that wants to behave differently. And uh, secondly, I'm always wary of people who think they're being persecuted for the faith, because that always uh, I do have an underlying assumption that if you're being that persecuted um, to warrant press coverage, uh, maybe you deserve it, uh, because you're being kind of a jerk, regardless of whether what you believe is true or not. So I skip it. Uh, let's see here. Five controversies surrounding the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Nope. Nope. You can read that on your own time. I don't care about that. Pastor Tavner Smith announces time off to spend with God, in quotes, after staffers quit over affair rumors. Nope. We've done a million of these stories. Uh, he did have the affair. He's lying. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't care to read any more about that. You should just fire this man, and, or he should walk away from the, uh, from the ministry. Repent and go find a church, probably not this one, of which he can... Uh, just uh, lay low for probably quite a long time and, and possibly never enter ministry again. I'd be quite all right with that. Um, Bob Saget, Norm MacDonald, Betty White, and the afterlife. Nope, nope, you're bandwagoning. I don't, no, I don't care about this. Uh, I, this is why I, I'm against most sermon illustrations that are trying to take something from the, here's something you care about, let me relate it to something about Jesus. Well, you should just care about Jesus and let's go there. And so, uh, no, I think that's wrong. I don't want to read about it. Nathaniel, you disagree I mean, let's talk about Norm. Okay, I'm just choking. I was I was pulling your leg off there, Ben. Okay, I didn't I didn't feel it. It felt criti- felt harsh, harsh <laughs> critique at me. Um, let's see here. Supreme Court to hear case of Christian football coach fired for praying on field after games. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm roughly interested in that Supreme Court case, but um, I don't care to read that uh, particular story. We'll what just a see. weird thing! Like, doesn't the Supreme Court like pick and choose over hundreds of cases? Yeah. Each year. And there's and one like the big one ones away. that they throw out. They're like, well, we don't want to decide on this. And they're talking about this. Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a religious freedom question. I guess. I guess we'll see how it goes. All right. Uh, let's see here. One more. Country star Craig Morgan joins fight against human trafficking. Jesus went to those ugly places. Okay, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, first of all, I don't care about celebrities uh, doing stuff. Uh, you, long, if you don't make the media, then I'm happy. Now, there's nothing saying that Craig Morgan said, cover me doing this. The media may have just found the man, so I'm not bringing, blaming old Craig who I've never heard of. Uh, I'm going to tell you this thing. I think we got to be careful with how we read Scripture, specifically our, our representations of Jesus and what he did. Like, I've heard, I saw someone on Facebook do this recently, and I think I've heard this a bunch of times, like, uh, you know, Jesus is always out helping folk. I'm like, well, yeah, but he was real specific about it, right? Like, you don't see Jesus running a food pantry, and you say, Ben, he fed the 5,000. I said, he, he prayed over some fish and loaves, and he fed them once, one time. Those guys, first of all, weren't all poor. 
uh, they traveled to go see him speak and obviously like could afford to be away from whatever they were doing. Uh, probably brought some of their own food to begin with. He was talking for a long time. And so these weren't like super poor people. And so when you're like, oh, he fed people. Well, I mean, that's not, he didn't go to the homeless camps. That's not, that's not what this was. Okay, so be real careful. Uh, now, he says to do these types of things, certainly. That's part of his teaching. But, like, to use Jesus as the example, I'd be real careful about how you extrapolate and, like, basically reduce the context of the stories to go, well, I want it to be a poor immigrant, and so they were likely all poor immigrants. Like, just be be careful that you're not pulling it out of context to otherwise prove a point. Let He, he spoke to it enough, okay? So I think his, his teachings are probably solid on this. You don't have to stretch his life, too. Um, just to fit whatever thing that you... Now, if God put a, has put a burden upon your heart that this is the thing for you, great. But don't blame Jesus for it. Say, the Spirit's guiding me, and it fits within the principles of how I'm supposed to treat people. Uh, because what happens is, is then you start grabbing this, this is how Jesus was. You tend to like shift it just a bit, and now it's almost like, well, I'm doing it, now why aren't you? The thing that God put a burden on your heart, your heart for, now you're kind of like, you're, you're virtue beaconing everybody else out there to go, now you should be doing the same as me. It's an elevation of you in some form or another. So just be careful with it. That's it. Okay. Anyway, that's part of the reason. Uh, so just a smattering of stories and, and, and why we don't do them. I don't tend to want to, I don't tend to want to talk to politics unless it's, there's an evidence that you're being an idiot uh, and you're not thinking wisely or that you're attaching yourself to too many things, things that aren't Jesus, basically, where I think we may be suckered by some political party or notion of freedom and that we miss Jesus in the picture, then that's the only reason I care is to get you away from it. Um, and then some of the other stuff, like uh, we, we've, we've, we've done the cheating pastor, um, we've done the miracle story, we've done the here's a celebrity doing this type of thing. Okay, you know. So anyway, that's why I skip it. Fellas, we doing all right in here? Here, here. Yep. Okay, awesome. Uh, we got some advice to give, Nathaniel? Yeah. Okay, let's have it. <coughs> Dear... Live from the path. My brother dated an alcoholic for years. Jenny, uh, Jenny's drinking problem progressively worsened to the point we could no longer have a conversation with her. She was a sloppy, emotional drunk and lied about her drinking to my brother. He finally become, became unhappy and recently broke off the relationship. His adult children, our dad, my husband, and I are supporting him, and I encourage him toward more healthy relationships. We are proud of him for making this move. The challenge is our mom, who is a daily drinker. She misses her drinking buddy and continues to hang out with Jenny. My brother has told mom it makes it harder for him to make a clean break, but she continues to meet regularly with Jenny. I told mom I have chosen not to contact Jenny because it hurts my brother. Mom responded that she will continue to see her and that they don't talk about my brother. Not true. <laughs> so she can understand the problem. Are we unfair for preferring a clean break for everyone? Yeah. No, I think your mom, I think the mom's making a, I think, uh, a selfish, I mean, she's obviously making a selfish decision, and she obviously has a drinking problem. But, like, um, I, what's it to you? Is the mom bringing it up in conversation? Like, what, what if your mom, like, I, I guess I don't understand why this is negatively impacting the brother to find out. I guess if, well, consider this for a second. Let's say, you know, we're all hanging out, 
and uh, mom's telling a crazy story about what happened with her and Jenny last night. Like me and Jenny were out, you know, hitting the the club or whatever, yep. you know. Uh, I don't know. Well, no, right. That's why I asked. Like, is she bringing it up? Is she talking about it, or is the problem that she's just talking with Jenny at all? I don't think it made clear. I think maybe the sister seems like it's that Jenny's talking with her at all because she said she's not even communicating with her. Um, but yeah, that's not your concern. Here's the thing: is that like if people want solidarity and things that it's not your problem. It's uh, you don't. Um, uh, I get it. You're uh, you're trying to stay away from this woman. Your brother is. The adult children are. That makes sense. You don't want a relationship with her. Don't have a relationship with her. Totally your prerogative. You don't get to say who else has a relationship with her. Um, that's not your place. And so, unless this woman is harming your mom, uh, in which case your mom's grown, she gets to make her own decisions here too. And uh, and so I, you don't even have a right to be mad at your mom here, to be honest with you. And I get it. There's there's a sense that hey, someone who hurt me, how can you then associate with them? I, I'm, here's what I'm going to tell you. I, the world is just more nuanced than this, um, than solidarity in you hurt me, I refuse to, like you hurt someone I love, and so I refuse to deal with you at all. Like the relationship of the mom and the drunk is different than the relationship to the drunk and the husband. It's just like, it's just different. Um, and some of the same hurts that may have occurred between husband and wife did not occur between mom and daughter-in-law. And so uh, I get it. It feels like a betrayal. It's uh, I'm just telling you, like it's too, it's too far. Um, I, you got to figure out how not to be bothered by it. Now, if your mom's bringing it up, if she's constantly mess like bringing this woman up and it's it's harming you, then uh, I think you can say, "Look, mom, I don't want to be part of these conversations. I don't want to hear about it. Um, it's a risk to me." And uh, and if she can and continues to like ignore you and disrespect you by bringing it up, even at, when you've asked her not to, um, then you might need to put some more thicker boundaries between you and your mom. Your mom, just because she's your mom doesn't mean she gets to say whatever she wants to. If she can't, you know, inter- interact in your life in a, in a positive way, in an encouraging way, in a way that is within the boundaries that are, that are good, um, then you got to put boundaries on her, and that's fine too. But um, I would say that it's not your place, I don't think, from my perspective, to be upset with your mom. You shouldn't even be mad at her. It's not your business. She can talk to her if she wants to. What do you think, Nick? Uh, I think I probably mostly agree with what you're saying. It, it seems like... As far as the mom, if she's bringing her up, up the ex-girlfriend all the time and stuff in front of her son and everything, that that's just not her being caring or loving toward her son, yeah. which obviously seems that if she loved her son, she wouldn't do that. Yeah. But as far as whether or not she still has a relationship with the lady, yeah, not really something you can do about that. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's okay to say that it's not healthy. Sure. But, like, but it's I not mean, your call as to whether or not somebody else is in a relationship with somebody. That's right. It's not your call to make. That's right. And we just talked about this, right? Like, we, we, even when you're talking about accountability, as much as I, you might look at the mom and go, hey, I want you to have healthy relationships, like, you can't force her. She's a grown woman. She gets to have the, she, she gets to take responsibility for her life and for that relationship if she wants to keep it. It may have consequences on your relationship with her. That's fair, too, that, like, you can make whatever decisions you want. You do have to deal with the consequences of it. But, like, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathaniel, what do you think? I think if I was the son, I'd be a little hosed off. But also, like you're saying, you can't choose who people hang out with. Uh, so yeah, I think yeah, it's not their call. Now, what what if what if they're exchanging uh, salacious details? The they're 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 bad mouthing the son during the meetings. Then what? Nothing you can do about that. You're not there. Yeah, it seems weird that the mo- I mean I don't know everybody's family 
dynamic, but like it just seems weird that the mom would want to like engage in that, like you know, talking about creepy weird stuff with with her ex daughter in law. She's so so. Here's the thing: they have a common enemy because what they have in their minds is a common holier than thou. Look at the look at the son. He thinks we drink too much. Isn't he a goody goody? You know what I'm saying? Like oh, he's yeah. giving us the judgment. And so they have, a, they have a common person to complain about. Nothing draws a crowd or a friendship like a common complaint. Yeah. We agree that this guy is a turd. And so, uh, and, and here's the thing. People find solace in that. You hose off somebody, and then they go find someone else that you've also hosed off, and they got, we got friends. And here's the thing. The thing that hosed off the guy to begin with is the thing that they also share. They get to drink and talk about the guy. Now, here's the thing. I would say that if she's otherwise not bringing it up, you don't know any different. And so you don't get to spend and should not spend any time thinking about what they're talking about. I've burned hours on that. People who I know are upset with me for some reason or another, right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, and worried about, oh, those two people are getting together. Certainly they're talking bad about me in some way or another. I'm like, well, one, I, ne- I won't ever know. Uh, and if they, they tell me, then at least they're being honest about it. If they don't tell me, I won't know whether it happened. And so, like, it just isn't worth any brain cycles. I don't, yeah, I don't spend any time on it anymore. I used to. It, was, it wasn't worth it. It didn't add any value to my life, worrying about what they were talking about. Because either they're wrong, uh, and I, why would I worry about something that I know is wrong, or they're right, and it probably has come up in a critique where they're right. And if they're right, regardless of what I think of them, I should probably react to that and change my ways. Like, that's a core, a core tenet of humility is being willing to change regardless of who the, who, who the bringer of the news is. Is it true? Well, then I should probably take it in. Okay, what, did, what was uh, Secular's advice? Secular says, You are not unfair, but this isn't your decision. It is your brother's and your mother's. Of course, she doesn't want to give up her drinking buddy. You stated that she drinks every day. One of the warning signs of alcoholism is when someone's drinking disrupts relationships. Your mother's drinking is now negatively affecting her relationship with her husband, her son, and you. But it appears she's unwilling to give up her drinking and gossip session with Jenny. It might be helpful for the rest of you to attend some Al... al What does that mean? Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh. They... Okay. Meetings and learn to cope with this. Uh, you will find meetings are available online and almost everywhere if you visit alanon.org. Okay. So we so uh, we, we kind of agreed aligned there. I think it's all right. Yeah, I agree. So it's all right to be irritated, but, um, you know, do not spend any more cycles on it. Yeah. I think it might be overwrought to go to say an indicator in the relationship is that they start breaking relationships. Cause like if someone says, look, was there an indication that they said, look, you got to, they told mom to give up the drinking. Uh, no. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. They just said, mom, mom's an alcoholic. That rascal. Now think about that. Cause they said that the guy's got grown children, right? So, yeah. I mean, this has got to be a 30, 35. Wait, no, no. He's going to be older than that. He's got to be in his 40, late 40s, 50s. Late 40s, early 50s. That means the mom's probably 70. Okay, some of these ships have sailed. This guy's got to get rid of, like, listen here. There's a time to put away childish things, as Paul might mention, and that goes with relationship drama. Don't do relationship drama after, like, 25. 
maybe even 23. Pull yourselves together, all right? Like, we're not, I, the word girlfriend even, like, if you're, over, if you're over 40 and someone says girlfriend, I'm immediately suspicious of the whole thing. It, it feels like a drama fest to me. And so uh, I've been fortunate in my marriage, and so maybe this is just my time in life, and it's not meaning it's not totally fine to date at these ages. I'm just saying, like, you you, you got to get to a point where you're like, look, I got no tolerance for drama in these arenas. These, these, these high schoolish type of behaviors. And so here's the deal. As soon as the girlfriend, she's got to be what? She's got to be late 40s, early 50s too. And she's, she's you know, tipping the, the knob on the bottle. Once <laughs> you go, look, we're not doing this. I'm not doing a drama fest here. And so give up to drinking or we're done skis. And then you wouldn't even got too far in this relationship uh, to have had this problem with the bomb. They never would have even met because you would have cut it off. And so I'm just saying there's just a time where you got to say, look, life is, I'm on the twilight here. <laughs> and so I just, we don't have time for this type of behavior. I remember a few other advice categories where like, it was, it's like a 50-year-old dude, 55 or something, and you just got what seemed like very amateurish problems, where it's, you just got to wipe your hands of the thing and go, that's not, no, we're not, we're not doing it. It's too late, too late in the years. I'm going to go to movies by myself. <laughs> All right, next, next advice. Dear Live from the Path, I am becoming more and more irritated with people. My fuse is short, and I'm prone to bur bursts of anger. Today, I watched another driver run a red light, and I proceeded to honk my horn, lower my window, and give the guy my middle finger. Yeah, I know it was risky, but I couldn't resist the impulse. I am sick of people. They are, in my opinion, self-centered, inconsiderate jerks who need to be smacked. Stupid questions also set me off. I've snapped at my wife and kids, which is not something I intend. What can I do to get a grip on my temper and not act out the way I have been? It's some, is something wrong with me? Really a nice guy in Michigan. Hmm. Hmm. I don't is know. he really a nice guy? What do you think, Nick? He's to get his anger under control, he says. Well, uh, speaking from my own personal experience with some road rage, um, I can say for myself anyway that usually it's because I value my time more than I do anyone else on the road. Okay. So I guess it seems like maybe a little bit of a selfish intentions to wherever I'm going or wherever I need to do or whatever I'm trying to do with my time is more important than others. Yep, yep. Um, I don't really know how you can cure that other than... I mean, are you still stuck with this to, malady? Have you given anybody the bird this week? I haven't given anybody the bird, but... Uh, <laughs> I... I honk at people fairly okay. often. Okay, okay. Because either they're going too slow or <laughs> whatever. Okay. But, um, yeah, I guess you just got to realize that everybody else is trying to do something and get somewhere to, and you never know what they're, they're going through or why they might be trying to get to where they're going or, you know, maybe that person on the road is distracted because they're family issues or yeah. whatever is going on in their life. And so maybe they're not focused on going as fast as you'd like them to. So take a wider perspective. So, yeah. Good, take good a wider start. perspective on things. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. Nathaniel, how do you help this man? 
Sounds like he needs to take a chillaxative. Um. Uh, I don't know. I was I supposed to burst out laughing <laughs> at that comedy gold. <laughs> I did, wish I wish you had, would have. Did you combine chill and relax and laxative? <laughs> <laughs> the triple crown of references. <laughs> I, I am in the midst of royalty. <laughs> Okay, speaking of people who are impressed with themselves, go ahead. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think if he took a, a step back and realized that he's not the uh, the center of the center of the, the the world, especially when it comes to like uh, he can't stand stupid questions. Yeah, it's like you know, it's your. Uh, it doesn't say how old his kids are, but like you know, they're matter. still kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, mean plenty of adults ask stupid questions all the time. So I'm age like, has nothing to do with here's it. Here's the thing: the notion of of hey of evaluating that this is a stupid question is a self-centered one. It says, "Look, this is not worth my time to have to answer this or think about it. You should have already thought about it, dummy, like I have." This is this is totally a humility problem. Anger at the world lacks humility. It looks at the rest of the world and said, all of you are pissing me off, and I don't deserve to be pissed off. The world should function the way that I expect it to function. I should not be interrupted by slow people, and I should not be bothered with these stupid questions. That is a, this, is a, this is at its core a humility problem. And so here's what I would say, uh, a friend. First of all, uh, if you're not otherwise uh, in a relationship with Jesus, I would get there. Like, uh, this is the right way to humility. When you recognize that there is a creator God and a sacrificial son, uh, you tend to see your life in a little bit better perspective. And so this is where humility comes from. And so you need to walk with Jesus. And Jesus will humble you, and he will remind you uh, of pl- things that you need to be able to give up. And then you're going to fight him with it, and you're going you're gonna to hold on tight to it anyway and tell Jesus you ain't going to do it. And it's going to be a real rough transition in your life. And hopefully, at some point in there, you'd give that up. You start not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less and valuing the people around you, and saying, you know what, uh, I already know the answer to this, and this person asked me a question that I already know the answer to. What a blessing to be able to help them. And then you will then engage life, bringing people up and raising them up with your wisdom, Mr. Smarty Town, uh, and not being hosed off because they don't know all the stuff that you know, or they don't remember all the stuff that you remember. Like, quit being uh, a self-centered doofus. That is, I think, is your core problem. And here's the thing. I'm going to tell you this, too. Uh, what, are, what are you doing with that middle finger? Nick Cox is the man who gives the bird or the, or the horn. What, what is your horn going to is real? My, what are you my horn to the is world? a way of uh, releasing my anger. Is uh, to tell someone, get going. Okay, so I'm gonna re- we're going to reorient to this, too. The, the, horn, <laughs> the horn is an instrument of encouragement, Nick Cox. Negative. Hey, bro. Hey, bro. Honk, honk. Just a little tappy-tappy. I see you looking at your phone at the green light. Let's, uh, heads up. Let's keep it moving. Okay? It's an instrument of encouragement. So I would say for me it's an instrument of aggression. Okay, so you need to disconnect the horn out your car. That you need to undo, undo the wires so that you would not have full... It's like giving... It's like having a bullhorn is what it is. It's say, as opposed to feeling angry, it's saying, I want people to know that I'm angry. But like... There's no health in it. What is no, that middle finger going to do? It's not healthy. That's He's going to sure. come back to the come back to the window and go. You know what, sir? I'm very sorry. You've made me a better person. 
What's ironic is that he says, uh, in my opinion, people are self-centered, <laughs> inconsiderate jerks who need to be smacked. That's right. That's right. He is an ironic, self-centered jerk who needs to be smacked. Yes. Yeah. He, and he's missing, he's missing himself in this particular scenario. Uh, yeah. Now, the hard part. So, like, what, what Nick Cox was saying around, hey, man, you never know what's going on in somebody's life. That's true. The hardest thing to get to is have yourself default to that view of the world. Like, you just, we tend to take it in. Like, hey, I'm trying to go to A to B. Well, I'm the only me, and so it makes sense to see the world through my own eyes. But, like, to look around and constantly be taking it in with somebody else in mind, from their point of view, from their perspective, with sympathies for whatever may be going on, or a recognition that you know very little about what's happening around you. Like, um, once you can get there, it's a way different life to be able to see the world like that. But that's the hard part, because you often can't force it. You can't just go, oh, I intend to see it from someone else's view today. Like, it's a prayer thing. It's that, that's a sanctification thing that happens. You, you will start taking in the world um, less, about, less about you. Um, but it's something you have to be mindful of, to have to be prayerful about. You have to try to be intentional about doing uh, and it will get there. So anyway, broad advice to this to this cat: uh, you have every problem you think the rest of the world suffers from. Uh, you suffer. You might be the king of them. You suffer from them. You lack humility. You probably need smacked. Uh, I'm not going to do it for reasons affirmations in, in the show, but um, yeah, that's your that's that's how you fix it. You you get Jesus. You find humility, um, and you use whatever uh, wisdom that you think is being affronted now as a means to encourage people and raise them up. And then you've put you've put your evil to work for good, and that'll be great. What does secular have to say? Secular says the season to be jolly has always been stressful, as it is, uh, as it is its aftermath. You are not allowed to do the advice. I'm a bad at reading. You appear to have a second grade reading level. I do. I will not. I will not stand uh, for these dumb questions. <laughs> 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 when it's time to pay the bills, this last holiday season has been more stressful than most any number for reasons. Uh, what does this have to do with the problem? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she she gave a prelude. Okay. Uh, Chapter two. <laughs> <laughs> Anger is a normal emotion. Everyone experiences it from time to time, but lowering one's car window, playing the horn like a musical instrument, and giving other drivers the finger is not only unwise, but dangerous. That is, now, that guy mentioned that. I knew this guy. Like, that is not what I'm worried about. If someone punched you in the face, I feel like that was, uh, you, that was your comeuppance. I don't mind that at all. These days, it could get you killed. Yeah, okay. I I'm, mean, say the person in the car, is they have extra road rage, and they decide they're just going to smash the side of your car. Now, but then think about this, though. Think of, he knows this. He knows this is a risk in this day and age. He is so self-centered and justified in his being hosed off, he's, he thinks it's, like it's worth the risk to go ahead and mouth off to some random fella. Like I mean, this, it seems unwise to me. It is unwise. It is blindness, and it is arrogance. And yet you honk, Nick. Yes. And oh, equally, honk. I admit, though, that it's unwise <laughs> that I foolishly do that. <laughs> well, so did he. I'm not under any... Uh... Yeah, that's true. He, he also wrecked it. He admitted his problem. He's just not... His repentance doesn't seem like it's in, in the cards. Okay, what was, so what was the advice, then? 
Um, for the record, a bad mood is not a valid excuse for taking it out on someone you think has asked a stupid question. If the query is sincere, no question is stupid. Your loss of self-control, if recent, could be related to frustration or misdirected anger at something you you were out something out of your control. Does experiencing these feelings mean there is something wrong with you? Not necessarily, as long as you find ways to manage your emotions before exploding. We are all human. We all make mistakes. My booklet, The Anger in All of Us and How to Deal with It, offers suggestions for directing angry feelings in a healthy way. That she would. This is way too light. She's been way too light on this man. She's taken a guy who admits that he is, he is like, uh, shotgun blasted his own wife and kids for dumb questions uh, and uh, <laughs> is, a, is a maniacal road rager. And it's just, and it's like, oh, you yeah, know, this is a n- normal human emotion, and like, uh, just find a better way to express it. No, no, like, I get it. I think that is a good, that's a fine first step. But like, you gotta get to the root of this thing. You should not be so mad. You shouldn't be so mad. I do. I'm a. I'll honk the horn every once in a while, Nick Cox, just so we're just so we we lay the runway. Uh, but it's generally because the guy is looking at his phone at the stoplight, and I just I don't tend to do it angrily because I've I've been guilty of such a thing. And uh, there's the people that have been gracious with me, and so I, I uh, feel like I don't need to, you know, take a flamethrower to the world about it. I don't ever honk. My wife gets mad at me because, like, people will be trying to run me off the road, merge and not see me, and I still won't honk. And uh, she said, that's what it's there for. I mean, no. that's what I would say is, yeah, that's, that's it, the situation where you honk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't do it. It's to draw attention and provide encouragement. I just, I just slow down. Uh, I say, come on in, buddy. Not, not when somebody's in the left lane going 70 and you want to go faster, so you have to pass them in the right lane, and you find out that they're looking down at their phone and not yeah. paying attention, yeah. and then you honk at them while you're passing them. Yeah, and then uh, give them one of these. Yeah. Give them the old <laughs> that that may be eye. a little uncalled for. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, it's deeper than that. I, I, you know, here's the thing. I, I, I know, like, it's, it's, it's totally, it's a, it is a prime emotion and uh, anger is something totally legit to struggle with. But, like, just accepting that you're an angry person and finding ways, like, getting a stress ball to squeeze or a mattress to punch, like, that, no. No, just no, no. That, these aren't the only things. What do you say? They're just a Band-Aid. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, or a deflection, right? You're just right, saying, yeah. hey, I just don't want the punch to land on somebody. Let's get to the, let's not throw punches. Let's get to the point where we're not throwing punches. Okay. All right, hey, you've been listening live from the path. We thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, two quick things. One, if you got any feedback for us on the show, uh, you got comments, uh, suggestions, or whatever, you can use the uh, live from the path complaint line. Uh, the number is 515-517-0085. That's phone calls or text messages. Uh, 515-517-0085. The Bob Eisenhower live from the path complaint line. We'd love to be able to hear from you, even if you hate the show, even if it makes you angry, even if you would give me the bird when you drove by. Uh, even so. I'd love for you to use it. Also, in your uh, podcasting app, uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind rating the show. And here's the thing. I, I have a general idea from our uh, the statistics we get from the show, how many people use the podcasting apps. Uh, we got like one or two reviews on iTunes. I know that's not the entire population. Okay? And so if you're a holdout, let's focus on you this week, iTunes. If you're an iTunes holdout who has not rated the show, I'm just saying it's two punches of the old finger, Okay? Five star submit or whatever, and uh, or one star and submit. You don't have to lie, but I do. I would like you to rate the show, and so if you could do that for me, I would feel great about it. Otherwise, I'll be um, I'll be super angry. 
with you. And so uh, if you could do that, that'd be fantastic. Um, I think that is everything we have this week. We look forward to, um, to hooking up with you again, hopefully next week. We'll see if everybody's back in town and not, not out with birthdays and sicknesses and all the stuff. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, sorry, be faithful in the means. God will handle the ends. You've been listening to Live from the Path. Bum 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 bum